0: Hello friends and shalom. This is Tom with Truth Ignited Ministry and this week I'm going to give you part three of my message that I've titled The Biblical Definition of Love. Now before we get started if you enjoy these messages and want to help Truth Ignited do more there are several ways available to provide your financial support. The main podcast through Spotify for Podcasters, offers the option to be a $5 or $10 monthly partner. You can also donate through our Cash App using Dollar Sign Truth Ignited, or if you're listening to this through the video, you can scan the QR code with your phone, which will also be displayed several times during the message. Also, I have options for one time recurring monthly or recurring yearly donations through the Truth Ignited website at www.truthignited.com, where you can also find a lot of great messages just like this in a written article format. Your support can help Truth Ignited do more and reach more people. Now, to start out this last part of this teaching, I want to talk about loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Psalm 97:10 begins with the statement, "You who love the Lord, hate evil." It really doesn't get simpler than that. Either you love God and hate what is evil, or you hate God and embrace what is evil. The opposite of love is hate. So anywhere in the Bible you find a statement about love, there is an implied equal and opposite statement about hate, even if it's not stated in the text. And anywhere hate is mentioned in the Bible, there is an implied and equal opposite statement about love. Isaiah 1, 13-17 and Amos 5, 21-27 describe the result of popular religion. These passages are often misread by Christians as saying that God hates the very same new moon festivals and Sabbaths that he established in the Torah, but this is actually not the case at all. In the passage in Amos, it clarifies what these things God hates actually are. They had established worship, new moon festivals, and Sabbaths for other gods, like Sikuth, Kion, and various star dots. It was essentially, in proper context, the same thing as Christians today celebrating holidays like Christmas, Easter, and Halloween, and the festivals of Catholic saints in their churches. Now, I do not normally turn to the controversial message Bible, but in this case, I think the author did a great job bringing these passages into a more appropriate modern rendering toward Christian religion. Check out what it says. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them all. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion. While you go right on sinning when you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or how loud you are or how often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. That's Isaiah 1, 13 through 15 from the Message Bible. Now listen to this one. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals i'm sick of your fundraising schemes your public relations and image making i've had all i can take of your noisy ego music When, when was the last time you sang to me do you know what i want i want justice oceans of it i want fairness rivers of it that's what i want that's all I want. and, that, and that's Amos 5:21 through24 from the message Bible. If I were to add one more thing to modernizing the passage, I would change Amos 5:26 from saying, but I, but you lift up your images, Sikuth, your king. And Kion, your star gods, which you made for yourselves, to read something like this, but you lifted up your images: Santa Claus, your Christmas god, and the Teutonic goddess Easter, and your saints, which you made for yourselves. Now, I understand that when you say things like this, religious Christians get angry and and say that this is crazy and preposterous and ridiculous to say that things like Christmas and Easter are evil and God hates them. But if you do an honest study of the history of these holidays, even just the origins of them through the Roman Catholic religion is enough to condemn them. And prominent Catholic theologians openly admit that they appropriated these holidays and others from outright pagan religions. Notice also that in the Message Bible, rendering the of the Isaiah passage, it includes that line, while you go right on sinning. That's the key to the whole thing. Not only is the context of the passage dealing with pagan new moon celebrations and pagan Sabbaths and pagan gods, but even if it were dealing with God's Torah established new moons and Sabbaths, the issue is still while they were living in sin, living in defiance to the Torah. It's a absurd, after all, to think that a passage written by a Torah-keeping prophet under the time period of the Old Covenant would be written against things established in the Torah. Yet this is just how misguided Christian thinking really is. They honestly believe that God hated his festivals and his Sabbaths, that he gave his people. And to take it further, they must believe he is even rescinding parts of his Torah, allowing Christians, Christians to celebrate pagan Witchcraft festivals renamed and repackaged as Christian holidays in their place. Christians today seem to live in some sort of brainwashed fog of delusion. They believe they are following the Bible, but if you read the Bible and ask why so much of it is not done in Christian churches, and if you observe typical Christian church practices and look for them in the Bible, you would find out how far removed the Bible and the religion of Christianity really is from each other. The confusion and outright hypocrisy of today's Christianity is easily seen when you examine certain things and weigh them against Scripture. As one example, many in popular religion are radically opposed to various acts of sexual sin that the Bible calls an abomination, most of which are today labeled under what has been called LGBT lifestyles. The the modern Christian will rail against these things and talk about how these people are defying God's law, but then if you bring up the food laws, don't eat pork, don't eat shellfish, don't eat rodents, you know, and so on, that that also defy God's law and are called an abomination in the Bible. These same Christians will say, well, we're not under the law now and, and we can eat those things. You know, the Bible never says that. They pick a few passages, you know, Mark 7, Acts 10, 1 Timothy 4, and a few others, take them completely out of context, read an interpretation into them that goes against God's law, and feel like they've found a loophole. I've done full teachings on these and other passages often used as the proof texts that that the food laws were abolished, and I can tell you with absolute certainty that these passages in context do. Do no such thing. In Genesis 3, we find Adam and Eve eating something God said not to eat not engaging in LGBT lifestyles. This was the sin that initiated all sin and placed a curse on the planet we live in. This should put some perspective on just how big of a deal eating things God said not to eat really is. The reason why Christians will rail against one and do the other is because eating unclean things is the sin that they're in love with doing. And if you're in love with sin, regardless of what that particular act of sin might be. You're not in love with God, you're not in love with Yeshua, and you're not in love with the Bible. In Genesis 1, 26 28 and 2.15, we're charged with the care of all creation. In Revelation eleven eighteen, it says that a day is coming when God will destroy the destroyers of the earth. First Corinthians 3:17 and 6-19, and 2 Corinthians 6:16 6, says that our body is the temple of Yah. So What about when we eat things that cause our body harm and cause the earth to be destroyed? I've done some research, which I have presented in the past, where the human quest to eat things like pigs, shellfish, and sharks set off a chain of events that caused the destruction of the whole ecosystems. Isaiah 24.5 says that the earth is polluted and defiled because of people not living according to the Torah. God's law, as written out by Moses, contains a number of instructions regarding what we should eat, hygiene practices, farming practices, and numerous other things that directly affect whether the earth thrives with life or is systematically destroyed. Caring for our God's creation through a Torah-obedient lifestyle is one of the most important things we're told to do. In fact, it is the very first thing we're told to do in the opening chapters of Genesis. Yet this same mandate and the commandments most related to it, especially the rules about what we are and are not supposed to eat, are the most ignored and rejected by Christians today. In like manner, in addition to the known health problems caused by eating things on the Leviticus 11 unclean list, there are many things being sold as food today with various man-made ingredients that are equally concerning. But the terms clean and unclean are not exclusive to just the things on the list of permitted and prohibited meats in the Torah. The Hebrew word used for unclean is tamay, and part of its meaning is defiled, polluted. The Hebrew word for clean is Tahor, and part of its meaning is chemically pure. When we turn to the apostolic writings, the Greek word for unclean is akothartos, and part of its meaning is not pure, mixed, adulterated with a wrong mix. And the word for clean is katheros, and Part of its meaning is without admixture, unmixed. When you study these things out, they're referring to anything in or added to food that makes it toxic and harmful to human health. Think about all of the bad things that are added to processed foods today. You know, there's those artificial sweeteners like aspartame and sucralose and and many others found in products like chewing gum and diet sodas and, and many other things. There are all sorts of preservatives. There are chemical colors that are so toxic that in factories where they're produced, a safety data sheet is required for safe handling of them. There is fast food that has a long history of causing people health problems and excessive weight Do you think you are loving God, loving Yeshua, and loving scripture when you eat these kinds of things? Or do you suppose loving God, Yeshua, and the Bible is found in eating biblically clean, all natural, organic foods grown the way God created them? Just like how Yeshua said that adultery included lust, not just the physical act, and murder included hate speech, not just the physical act, the biblical food laws of what is clean and what is unclean are bigger than the list of meats we can eat and those we are told not to eat. The laws of what is unclean as food extend to anything that is bad for our physical health and the health of our planet. Love God, love Yeshua, and love the Bible. Eat real, natural, or organic foods that are not in violation of the Leviticus 11 prohibitions. Following the basic food laws outlined in the Torah is really the minimum mandate. You basically have to have a heart hardened against the ways of God to eat things like pork and shellfish. But the person who truly loves God will desire only those things God created for us to eat. Natural and organic fruits and vegetables and biblically clean meats. Another Another example is seen in the popular holidays. While some Christians look to create alternatives for Halloween or celebrate it outright, many still strongly oppose it because it is so blatantly filled with evil and demonic themes. Yet, if you try to talk to these same people about Christmas and Easter, they'll act like you've lost your mind. They simply cannot comprehend being a Christian without the celebrations of the birth and resurrection of Yeshua. Halloween is the creation of the pagan Roman Catholicism. Catholic churches part of its worship of saints. It's connected with the Catholic tradition of All Saints' Day, with influences from the Celtic Samhain festival, which continues to be venerated today through the witchcraft religion of Wicca. But Roman Catholicism also created Christmas for the same purposes, with probable influences of the Roman Saturnalia and later the Nordic Yule festivals and Easter as well, with influence of the Nordic Yoster celebrations these histories are readily available to anyone who wants to study them and none of these holidays are ever mentioned in the Bible you know it's possible to celebrate the birth resurrection and many other aspects of Yeshua's life without Christmas and Easter through the biblical holy days that the Bible tells us to celebrate and we are prof- and are prophetically connected to to his life. He was crucified at Passover and rose again on the biblical day of first fruits. That's why Paul refers to his resurrection as being connected with firstfruits. See 1 Corinthians 15 20-23, 2 Thessalonians 2-13. The evidence leads to his birth being connected with the biblical Feast of Tabernacles where he came to tabernacle among us. John 1 14. And when you see that these feast days all all of which were what Yeshua and all of the first century believers celebrated are prophetically linked to Yeshua, and that Christmas, Easter, and Halloween are completely unbiblical and directly linked to pagan religious traditions, the choice of which ones we are supposed to be celebrating becomes very obvious. And, and if you are worried that giving up Christmas means that you'll no longer have a festive midwinter holiday, then check this out. John 10, 20- says, Then came Hanukkah. It was winter in Jerusalem, and Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. Here's an idea. If it's in the Bible, and we see indications that Yeshua did it, that's what we should do. And if it's not in the Bible, and we see indications that it's even possibly connected with witchcraft or other pagan religions, that's not what we should do. Yeshua never ate unclean things. Yeshua kept the biblical seventh-day Sabbath. Yeshua celebrated all of the Father's feasts, as well as the biblical holidays of Purim and Hanukkah. And As the spotless lamb of God, I assure you that if he were alive today, he would not celebrate the pagan holidays that most Christians are in love with. But he probably would walk up into all them churches with a whip in his hand when they are celebrating Christmas and Easter. You know, just like he did when he walked up in the temple with a whip in his hand. Take also the various types of Bible codes I've mentioned previously in this study. Equidistant letter sequence codes, Hebrew word picture codes, gematria codes, and and all that kind of stuff. We do not have examples of these practices in the Bible. Nowhere do we ever read in scripture about someone starting with one Hebrew letter and skipping to another Hebrew letter and then skipping to the same number of letters to another until they find a combination that makes up a known word and declares it prophetic there's not one place where we see someone mentioned in the bible taking hebrew letters giving them pictographic meanings, and putting this letter together with that letter and coming up with a secret encrypted message. We have no example in scripture of anyone doing this, no commandment to do this, and no instructions on how to do it, but we do see such practices historically in such things as witchcraft and Kabbalah. So we have something that is not in the Bible, but is connected with demonic practices. Therefore, we must conclude that this is not something we should be doing. And people wrapped up in this stuff are practicing divination and witchcraft under the guise of Hebrew studies and leading a lot of people down a very dark path. Some of these practices have become very popular in the controversial Hebrew roots movement. If you know someone... In Involved in such things, try to show them the truth. But if they will not listen, get as far away from them as you can, man. A a favorite argument of the anti-Torah crowd is, have you read Galatians? I I once... Not so long ago had some hotshot preacher full of himself tell me that I need to make Galatians my favorite book in the Bible. Why do they act like Galatians is the sole foundation of the entire rest of Scripture and everything else in the Bible must conform to the Christian interpretation of Galatians that in actuality conflicts with everything else in the Bible, including the other writings of Paul, the same dude who wrote Galatians? Romans 7, 7 through 8, says... To those who by perseverance in doing good are seeking glory, honor, and immorality, eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and fury. Romans 2.13 says, For it is not the hearers of Torah who are righteous before God, rather it is the doers of Torah who will be justified. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that to whatever you yield yourselves as slaves for obedience, You are slaves to what you obey, whether to sin resulting in death or to obedience resulting in righteousness. These are just a few examples where Paul clearly associates Torah obedience with true new covenant faith and Torah breaking with being outside of the covenant. We can find a Torah positive way to approach the statements in Paul's writings that Christians think are against Torah keeping. We cannot, however find an antinomian argument to override clear and undeniably pronomian statements made not only by Paul, but every other Bible author. Literally, every book of the Bible promotes a Torah-positive theology where the message, in context, is that God's laws are mandated to those in covenant. This is an inescapable fact. Every single person involved in writing the Bible was a Torah-keeping Hebrew, with, with the possible you know, exceptions of Job and Luke. But, but Job is believed to have lived at the same time as Abraham, And there are good arguments that Luke was either Jewish or a convert to the Judaism of the Nazarene sect led by Paul, much like that man named Nicholas mentioned in Acts 6-5, which is not the same Nicholas named St. Nicholas and later Santa Claus, okay? That, that was a that was a bishop from the time of the Nicene Council that, that they used for that whole thing. Okay, so I just don't want people to get confused with that. Israelite or not, however, Job and Luke also lived their life according to the Torah. And, and in case there is any doubt about Job he as he lived prior to Moses, Genesis 26-5 says that Abraham obeyed the Torah. Most Bibles translate the passage with the word instructions, but if you look at it in the original Hebrew, it's Torah. God's law was known and kept by all covenant people before Moses. Noah knew the difference between clean and unclean animals in Genesis 7 and found favor with God because he lived in obedience to all that the Father had instructed. Loving God means hating evil, and from cover to cover, the Bible defines evil and sin as living against the Father's Torah. In like manner, we have seen a whopping 18 times where loving God, loving Yeshua, loving the Bible, and loving other people are all synonymous with following and obeying the Torah. In Genesis 3, we're introduced to a serpent who deceived people into breaking the Torah through the simple act of eating what God. God said not to eat. And to this day, the most rejected commandments in the entire Bible by Christians are the food laws outlined in Leviticus 11. This same serpent in me- is mentioned again in Revelation 12 9, where it says he will deceive the whole world. Who do you suppose is behind the Christian belief that they don't have to follow the food laws, don't have to keep the Sabbath day, or get to redefine the Sabbath as? Sunday, can celebrate their pagan Catholic holidays instead of the feast days given by the same God they claim to serve, and many other things. Revelation twelve seventeen goes on to say that this same Satan wages war against those who both keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Yeshua. I must inform you that Satan is not attacking Christians who promote lawlessness in their churches, teaching that they're not under the law, and the law was nailed to the cross, and if you dare live by the Torah, you've fallen from grace and voided the work of the cross. Such statements come from a gross misinterpretation of the things Paul said, and we can easily establish that Paul lived by and taught obedience to the Torah. Just see Acts 24, 14, 25, 8, and 28, 23. Anything that can be perceived as an attack of the devil among Christians is simply an act of deception, causing them to... Th- think that they're in right standing with God while not living by his Torah. People who go to church every Sunday and hear preaching that leads to a belief that even portions of the Torah are voided through Christ are exactly where Satan wants them to be. He wants to keep them right where they are. So so he'll give little attacks when needed to keep them there, but otherwise he's perfectly content leaving them to their religion of lawlessness. When preachers or Christians designate certain commandments as ceremonial and deem them obsolete, that is Satan lying to you. If you want proof that these things are not obsolete, just look at the yet to come millennium. The food laws will still be upheld in the millennium (Revelation 18, 2. The Sabbath will be kept in the millennium (Isaiah 66:23). The Passover will be kept in the millennium (Ezekiel 45:21), and the Feast of Tabernacles will be kept in the millennium, Zechariah 14, 16 through 19. In other words, everything in the Torah, including all the things Christians say are ceremonial and obsolete, were kept by everyone who wrote any part of the Bible and will be kept in the millennium. These things are not obsolete. Christianity is deceived and lying to people. It is literally the religion of the Genesis 3 serpent built upon the foundation of the question, hath God? God said... In the Bible, there is a lawless one, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8-9. And there is a righteous one, Isaiah fifty three eleven. The lawless one is Satan. The righteous one is Yeshua. Lawlessness or sin is defined in 1 John 3, 4 as breaking, transgressing, violating the Torah, and righteousness is defined in Deuteronomy six twenty five as obeying, following, keeping, living by the Torah. Satan, from his first appearance in Genesis 3, is seen leading People to question, reject, and break the commandment of God. Yeshua, from his first appearance in Matthew 1, is seen leading people to repent of their sin, their Torah breaking ways, and turn to a life of Torah obedience. Read the Bible with these things in mind, and everything will come to place and make perfect sense. All of those places where people think the Bible contradicts itself, or one part of the Bible terminates an earlier part of the Bible, disappear and you're left with one complete harmonious word of god that from cover to cover promotes obeying the commandments of god all the way to the very last chapter in the whole bible where it says in revelation twenty-two fourteen that it is those who obey the commandments who have a right to the tree of life do you love god Do you hate evil? Do you love the Torah? Do you hate sin? Do you love the Messiah, Yeshua? Do you hate Satan, the ancient serpent? Or are you just too enamored with popular Christian religion to even care? To be clear, I'm not anti-Christian. I believe everyone who is a Christian is so because they genuinely want to follow the truth. Uh, aside from the con artists using religion to deceive gullible people for money, but, but that's another matter altogether. But Psalm 1 says the Torah is truth. You cannot have truth without living by the Torah. The word Christian is used only three times in the Bible. Acts 11, 26, 26 20, 28, and 1 Peter 4.16. There is some debate about why Peter chose this word in his letter, but many scholars contend the earliest uses of the word was derogatory and mocking in nature, stated by pagan Romans toward those who genuinely followed Yeshua and and his Torah lifestyle. The word used in Greek is Christianos. Today we use the word Christian, and the key to differentiating what it wrongly means today and what it originally meant is in the suffixes. The modern suffix I-A-N is a vague or loose belonging to. As such, anyone who just says that they believe in Jesus in any capacity is considered a Christian. In contrast, the Greek suffix Ayanos denotes slavery. You were considered a slave to that which the suffix is attached. Those who were called Christianos in the first century were those who lived completely sold out to the holiness described in Revelation 14, 12. They followed both the commandments of God, the Torah, and the faith of Yeshua, the gospel. That's what a true Christian is. Someone who both lives in obedience to the Torah and and follows Yeshua walking just as he walked first John two: six. The Bible says, "To love not the world." John 12, 15 through 17, it says this Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boasting of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desire, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. I'm always perplexed by Christian. Christianity's love for worldliness. We should be loving the world enough to lead them out of worldliness, yet the Christian culture of the modern day seems enamored by the secular life. Why does it seem such a strange and foreign concept for the average Christian to live according to the Bible? Why do they prefer the world's holidays to the Father's holy days? Why do they feel the best way to get people into their churches is to be as worldly as possible without crossing over that ever-shifting line of what has gone too far into gross immorality, a line that moves further away from biblical standards of holiness with every compromise. I've actually watched this play out right before my eyes. As I've mentioned in other teachings, I've spent a portion of my time at a very influential church. At one time, they were arguably the primary ministry leading the charge for so-called revival in America. They used to bring in speakers to teach that the Leviticus 11 food laws are still mandated and to be obeyed. They used to promote keeping the Sabbath and celebrating the biblical feasts. They used to preach against getting tattoos on their bodies. They used to stand against all manner of worldliness, but something happened. Now, I don't profess to know what happened, when exactly it began to happen. You know, as often these things start within leadership of a church long before they're discernible to others. Or why it happened, what I do know is I started to see shifts toward worldliness and compromise. And I watched. Perhaps the Spirit held me there just so I could see it play out. As one after another, they discarded the values of their past that made them such a powerhouse for biblical standards in the first place. And now I'm not certain what first triggered me to see something was off. But it was likely either when they decided to host large Easter egg hunts when previously the pastor had spoken very disparagingly of such things and would say every year that leading up to the spring holiday season to never say the word Easter because he knew it's the name of a pagan spring fertility goddess of the Old Norse tradition. Or when I found out that the pastor had gotten his first tattoo because of his daughter wanted to get one so so they got them together from that point forward i saw certain trends prevail they did continue promoting the biblical feast in a more biblical manner for a period of time but that began to fade away they they do still talk about the feast but but it seems that they've made them into nothing more than another one of their offering gimmicks, then they started making their Easter celebration, now calling it by that name without reservation, into a worldly carnival. Some years, they dropped plastic eggs from a helicopter. Some, they had a raffle to give away a used car sponsored by a local dealer. Some, they had a literal circus theme with fire breathers and clowns and all of the standard attractions. And one year, they even brought in an aerialist in the typical very Very revealing attire, performing in a manner very much like the women who pole dance at strip clubs. From there, they began to compromise their views with Christmas as well. Though though they also used to speak against the Santa Claus tradition, now they were having a very worldly Christmas event complete with a Santa Claus in the lobby. They, They began to say that such things are bait to win the lost, draw in the lost. But the manner in which you attract people is the manner in which they will be kept. If you use worldliness to draw people to your churches, you must continue to be a house of worldliness to keep them. If you draw them with the Bible, the name of Yeshua lifted up, the power of the Spirit, and a message of Torah obedience, then you will keep them with those things. How can you say that you love God if you're so enamored By the world and worldliness, when the Bible says that if you love the world, then the love of God is not in you. James 4.4 4 says, you adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Imagine as has happened at times in church history and, and even more frequently in the days we are living, a pastor standing before his congregation and confessing to adultery or, or paying for a prostitute. Some people are so blinded by false religious views that they would say such things like, oh, it's okay, pastor. We're all human. Keep on preaching to us. But many would leave that church. Should we not take what the Bible calls adultery with God that much more serious? Why would you want to be a part of a church that habitually commits adultery with God through its love for worldliness? Because of the topics I often minister on, you know, subjects not popular in churches today, like the food laws, the feast days, and things like that, I often find myself in dialogue with hardened antinomians. Recently, I was in one such discussion where the person began to literally mock the ways of God, talking about all the pork they were going to eat. I just have to wonder, when God said not to eat that, and these people are so hardened against his commandments that they eat it anyway, even mocking the commandment, can we really say that they love God? It seems they love their bacon, their ham, their sausage, their shrimp, and their lobster, and anything else more than they love God. And this despite that there are literally biblical clean alternatives to all of these things today. You can get ham, and sausage, and all things associated with pork, made alternatively from turkey, chicken, beef, lamb, and other clean animals. And often, these products are also made free from concerning food additives and preservatives because it's typically the more health-conscious companies that produce these pork alternatives. I've even heard of kosher shrimp, which are not really shrimp, but an imitation of them, made using biblically clean ingredients. The the point is that there really is no excuse if you feel like you cannot go without these types of foods, but you want to truly love God, there are ways you can have them without defying His commandments. I, I really just don't understand why Christians... Christians have such a hard time simply following the Bible sure there will be people including most Christians who will look at you strange or or think you are crazy if you don't celebrate Christmas and Easter but but opt instead for the holy days of the Bible that, that they wrongly consider to be those Jewish holidays there are many who won't understand why you would keep the correct biblical Sabbath day or refrain from eating things that the Bible says not to eat because they're so indoctrinated with a theology that Originated with the serpent in Genesis 3, asking, Did God really mean it when He said not to eat that? The Bible is clear regarding God's law. If we truly love Him, His Word, and the Messiah He sent, then we would live in total obedience to His commandments. To do anything else is to love the world, love sin, and hate God. So this begs the all-important question, will you love God biblically? Will you love him the way he defined the matter? through a life submitted to keeping his Torah? Or will you go down in the history of eternity as another victim of Satan, the ancient serpent, the lawless one, convinced that you can be saved without a requirement to obey at least some parts of the Bible? Hebrews 5.9 says, Yeshua became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The favorite verse of all Christians is John 3.16, but they would do good to read a little further. As John 3.36 says, He who trusts in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will will not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. Saved people obey the Torah because they love God and they're filled with the Spirit that causes them to walk in his laws. Ezekiel 36.27. Christians think they love God, love Yeshua, and love the Bible, but according to the Bible, they don't. They think they love God when they faithfully go to church. They think they love God when they sing popular worship songs to him, m- many of which today are more humanist than holy. They think they love God when they tell people about Jesus. But, but these are things that people can do and most probably do do because they love religion. They love Church and churchianity or or any other number of things. This is perhaps why God made it a point to define loving Him as the only thing that can only be done as an act of loving Him, keeping His commandments. This is perhaps why God made it a point to define loving Him as the only thing that can only be done as an act of loving Him, keeping His commandments, living according to His Torah. In several of the Psalms, there's a word used to close them, selah. There's some debate about what this word means, but the common view seems to be pause, stop. And take time to really think hard about what was just said. It seems appropriate to close a message like this with such a thought. Maybe you are a person who's lived in in Christian religion and never been shown what was revealed in this message. Maybe nobody ever showed you in such simplicity the comparison of the lawless one and the righteous one. Maybe nobody has ever listed out the whopping 18 times that the Bible defines loving God, loving Yeshua, and loving Scripture as keeping following and living in total obedience to the Torah maybe nobody's ever explained to you how loving other people can only truly be accomplished through a life of Torah observance so take some time pause think long and hard on what you've listened to in these messages Ask yourself, doesn't this message make a whole lot more sense of the whole counsel of Scripture than the the not-under-the-log theology of modern-day Christianity? In the past, there's an approach that I've taken whenever I've heard a message that conflicted with what I was taught in churches. For purposes of illustrating this, I'll use the biblical food laws from Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, where we are told quite emphatically not to eat things like pork, shellfish, rodent, camels, horses, sharks, rays, catfish, cats, dogs, Birds of prey, you know, owls and hawks, and various other things. I, I know I've talked about these food laws a lot already, but hang with me for just a moment longer. I, I first heard teaching that these things were still a part of our faith in the New Covenant, you know, what many would call New Testament Christianity, at, at a Pentecostal church many years ago. At that time, they started to bring in speakers to teach about following the biblical food laws, and they said that thing. And they said things that went completely against what Christianity teaches from passages like Mark 7, Acts 10, 1 Timothy 4, and others. One of them read from Isaiah 65, verses 3 through 5, and asked something like this Doesn't that sound like it really makes God mad when people eat this stuff? I think he said that, that it doesn't it sound like it really hacks God off. To answer this question, it clearly does. What they said made a whole lot of sense, and so I followed this pattern. One, I completely stopped eating anything that went against the commandments listed in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. Now, this is the most important thing I feel should be done in these cases. Stop doing it. It's much better to take this position than to keep doing it while you're studying it out. Tomorrow is promised to no man. Always take this approach and err on the side of caution while you study these things out. Two, The next thing is to begin studying everything you can find on the topic. Look up all the verses in the Bible that talk about the commandments in question and read them. If the verses used to claim the commandment is abrogated are not as clear as the commandment itself, consider that these passages might not mean what people say they do. Read the views of scholars, pastors, and others who have shared on this topic. Both! And I can't emphasize this enough, both from a position in favor of obeying the commandment and the position against it. Which view seems to make the most sense against the whole counsel of Scripture? Which view sounds a whole lot like the serpent in Genesis 3? You know, that's a very important question to ask. And then 3... Come to a logical conclusion and follow it. This pattern has never failed me. When I did this with the food laws, it became more and more clear that there is absolutely nothing in the Bible that overturns them. In fact, all indications are that Yeshua kept these food laws, and we are to walk as He walked. First John two six, and passages like Isaiah sixty six seventeen and Revelation eighteen two indicate that unclean animals are still unclean, and not to be eaten in the still-to-come end times. It simply makes no sense that God continually gave and emphasized these things. Every single person who participated in writing the Bible followed them. They are clearly going to be enforced in the end times and the millennium, but somehow Christians don't have to follow them. The the same has proven true as I studied out keeping the biblical Sabbath on the seventh day of the biblical week, you know, what's called Sunset Friday to Sunset Saturday on secular calendars, modern secular calendars, celebrating the biblical feast days and many other things. On the other hand, there are many things taught in religion as part of being scripture that following this method show might not be as biblically based as people believe them to be. For example, in Torah positive ministry, there are a lot of people who dogmatically automatically believe that it's prohibited to cook food on the Sabbath or that a new biblical month requires the new moon to be physically sighted with the naked eye by two witnesses in the land of Israel. I followed the same process, and the reality is that neither of these beliefs are clearly supported by Scripture. Though a lengthy study on these two matters and many others are outside of the scope of what this message is covering, the plain reality is that I simply cannot in good conscience tell someone that they cannot cook on the Sabbath or that they have to confirm the sighted moon in Israel before they can keep a biblical feast day when I cannot find these views clearly supported in scripture. I wouldn't tell people who follow these views to stop, but I'm not comfortable enforcing something that I cannot find clearly outlined in the Bible. So if you've listened to this message through, as I asked at the beginning in part one, now you have a choice to make. You may have been told your whole life life, that it's okay to eat whatever you want now, that Jesus is your Sabbath now, or Sunday is the Sabbath now, you know, or that the biblical feasts are Jewish holidays, and Christians are not Jewish, and that Jesus was born on December 25th, and that's when we celebrate it now, and so many other things. This message has provided a valid and well-supported by Scripture argument that these beliefs are completely wrong. It has been shown that as such beliefs are a violation of God's law, they would logically originate with the lawless one the same serpent that started leading people to question reject and rebel against the commandments of god in genesis 3 so you have a choice to make are you going to reject this message call me a judaizer a legalist a fanatic or something else or are you going to follow the pattern and stop doing these things that go against the bible study these matters out and come to a logical conclusion that is based in loving obedience to your God, your Messiah, and your Bible. Hey friends, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. If this message has impacted you, please feel free to share it with others. If you're enjoying these teachings, be sure to subscribe and consider becoming a $5 or $10 monthly partner. If you want to make a larger donation, please contact ministry at truthignited.com. If you're interested in more teachings like this from Truth Ignited Ministry, be sure to check out the website at www.truthignited.com and follow Truth Ignited on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. I'll see you next time. Blessings and Shalom.